Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. done a lot of talking and a lot of what I'm talking about I would like to summarize by saying it's kind of like hacking mania. So I've talked about mania as a vision casting state. I've talked about embodying one's mania. I've talked about harvesting one's mania for one's manic traits and it's not about the manic state as much as it is embodying one's manic traits and I talked about the idea of harvesting practicing and embodying so harvesting one's mania practicing the traits and then getting to a point where one is embodying one's manic self in daily life not as in the manic state but actually in daily life and it's embedded in the body, in the neurophysiology, in the neural networks, and in the gestures, in the muscle memory, so one has become that which one was in the state of mania. And that's one of the things that makes mania so desirable, is one really loves how how one is. And so my thought is that we can still be that way in daily life, it just might take a little bit bit of practice. And even though it takes practice in daily life, it doesn't necessarily have to take practice because one can become manic or in the manic state with a snap of a finger. And my thought is by practicing embodying the version of oneself that one is in mania, when that extra energy comes, it will actually be able to be more efficient and be able to be enacted relationally and this is another thing that I thought of was that this extra energy that we that takes over us in a way a lot of times it is directed into creativity playfulness learning and just a bunch of the different manic traits and a lot of those traits and a lot of the creativity is actually something we want to share or we want to make it relational and a lot of times if we are out in public we get into conversations with strangers that we otherwise wouldn't get into and so in that way we're actually making it relational by relating with others with that manic energy and they might not even be aware that we're in the state of mania because they've never seen us before that's one of the benefits of strangers If I was in a manic state and acting out of character around my family, they would start giving me the funny eyes, like, what is wrong with you? And I would probably sense that, and it would be sort of one of those buzzkill experiences. And that energy gets dissipated. Instead of that energy getting shared relationally with a stranger who might actually find the interaction quite enjoyable, Um, with the family interaction, if I'm out of my character, of my normal ego self, that energy is going to be dissipated in being defensive or 
getting into some kind of something over something and it'll be kind of a waste and it'll also bring me down and probably agitate me because I'm not being allowed to be that self that I'm wanting to be or that energy is wanting me to be. That's the thing too, that extra energy comes in and animates us in different ways it, through, through gesture, through so many different things. Um, I've experienced in the manic state being a lot stronger, a lot more flexible, and this is just overnight. Like, there's no reason why I should have way more strength. There should be no reason why I can dance sufficiently better, even though I am not really much of a dancer. Um, and I'm stronger, and if I run through a bush of prickles, I don't get a scratch on me somehow. So there's a lot of different things. And another thing is my family, they comment that I look taller, which is interesting. They always say, oh, you look taller. Um, so there's, those are just some like physical things that, that happen. But really it's that energy, I think that energy totally releases all the muscle tensions that are the ego memory complexes stored in the muscles and the adaptations we make over time and gravity, that energy comes in and, and takes a lot of that away. So I do think there are a lot of clues in the manic state. And if one can survive it, I've gone into a state of psychosis after and also states of depression, which may have been caused more so, the depression might have been caused more so by the medication I was given, it's hard to say. But, um, it's a difficult state to survive and it's important to keep yourself safe number one i don't i'm not talking about being in a manic state and or actually trying this when in a manic state i'm actually saying if you had a mania say a couple years ago and you think back on it what things might you want to incorporate into your life not by any means saying go into a manic state because the state is actually dangerous, especially in today's times where it's misunderstood. If we had a, an understanding of it, that it's like a visionary state, a vision casting state, a hyper learning state, then maybe we would have supports in place for people that go into these states to make the best of it in the safest way possible. Because most times a person in that most beautiful, wonderful part of the mania that person's not interacting with any kind of system of care. It's not until later when things start to get more messy that happens. So what I'm saying is we forget to look at the, the state before the mess. And if we ever do, oftentimes I feel like it's like to think, oh, I hope that happens again, or I want that back. My point is to say we can be that way without having to go back to that state which which is actually dangerous and I feel like by practicing embodying that we can move towards that and we can um, actually make the state less dangerous because we will be it's almost like strength training for when that energy comes in we will already have practiced being those ways because that energy comes in and wants us to be a certain way it makes us a certain way well, what if we move towards practicing being that way? 
then does the energy have to come in and make us that way? Maybe the energy will come in like a slow tide as opposed to a tsunami. Because we, you know, the energy is animating us in ways that we've never been before. And so if we can move towards being those ways, then if the energy comes back, well, we've been those ways. So it's not that dissonant. It's more resonant with our psychobiophysical structure. And I have no idea if that's true and that's something I have to put in practice in my life. And part of the reason I'm making these videos is to track my progress, sort of. I don't think I'm really tracking my progress as much as progressing on the ways that I choose to think about learning from these extreme states of consciousness. And my thought too is that maybe one day it won't really be an extreme state of consciousness. Maybe I don't need to go to extreme states of consciousness to be that way because maybe I'm even in an extreme state of consciousness but I don't notice because all that extra energy has somewhere to go. It's made relational. And that's another thing is I feel this energy comes into our life um, to make us more relational. We become more social for a good period of the experience. And those social interactions change the fabric of reality ever so slightly. And the way that energy animates us is to be more altruistic, to be more giving, to be more generous, to be more perceptive, to be more insightful, to be more thoughtful, to see things more clearly, to act on things right away, as opposed to thinking, oh, well, I'll get to that later. And I feel that that energy is trying to get us to be more that way and that passes it on to the social fabric through the mirror neuron system. So these spontaneous social behaviors can become a positive social contagion and actually change the way we relate to each other even if there aren't a ton of people doing it. It still has a small effect and I think that energy comes in and that energy is dissipated through these interactions and then we eventually sort of come back down into our material ego self. So what I'm saying is that this energy is actually meant to be used relationally. It's meant to animate us in ways that make us relate in ways that are actually going to change the fabric of society. So the more we can practice being those ways and change the fabric of society, maybe the more likely that energy will come back to us in an embodied way. Because in my mind, this energy is trying to orient us towards world centricity, towards seeing that we're all connected and we're all one. And there's a lot of talk about we're all connected and we're all one. But who else has had the experience in an altered state of consciousness in say an organic mania where you literally are perceiving the world as it is all one it's all one process it's all one big thing and 
and we're all a part of it. There's no real separation. So that energy comes in and we actually see and experience the world that way and we interact with the world, in the world, as the world, with that perspective. So what I'm saying is the energy makes us world-centric. It makes us relate in these different ways that are world-centric ways and they're world-centric ways of being and seeing. And in that way, the energy is actually not for you and it's not for me. It's for the world and it's the energy of the world and it's the energy of world centricity. And it's trying to get us to see the world this way because this is the way the world actually is. And we can't see it that way because of our ego thought programs. And so the energy comes in and sort of wipes away those ego thought programs temporarily so we can actually see. And we see and we're like, holy crap, this is beautiful, this is amazing, this is so magical, this is wonderful. And it's difficult to stay there if the energy comes in, we're being world-centric in an egocentric world. So. The energy eventually, in my thought, in my mind, gets dissipated and when it does, we come back from that world of perceiving holistically, world-centrically, and as we come back to this other way of being, we do, we are reacquainted with our ego and, and it's a very confusing process, it's almost like Oftentimes it feels like dying um, because it's almost like dying to the real world that we saw and coming back to this world of the ego's contrivances and how we've been brought up to see the world, which isn't the true way of seeing. And, and in, I've mentioned before, I think, that that other way of, the true way of seeing, or the way we see in that so-called manic state, is like we are our light body version of ourselves, which is like our basic information, not written over by any of the ego programs. And it's always with us, it's always part of us. It's like our light body self. And the energy of mania comes in and sort of blasts away all the programs that are stored in our muscle memory and our neuromusculature and our posture and our in all the ways we've tensed up and and the ways we've we've practiced being as our ego self that's all wiped away and we feel free and we feel like we can see and we feel so many things. And to me, that's the trajectory of our growth if it was never written over by any kind of programs or experiences or, or you know, situations or circumstances or, or traumas. So that version is always there and that's why we can click into it if that energy comes in and wipes away the ego programming stuff. And 
It's like an activation energy. And things that weaken the ego. There's people that go into that through drinking too many Red Bull. There's people that go into it through not sleeping. And in a way, that scrambles the ego. It loosens its hold because a person doesn't have that much sleep. Or some people fast and don't need any food. That can also scramble the ego. And in my mind, that energy comes up to help scramble the ego. The ego thoughts, if we have our favorite, you know, 100 thoughts that we think on repeat, that energy comes in and all of a sudden gives us new thoughts and associations. And not all of them are correct and, and we sort of have a sense like, is that true? Is that false? And it's almost like being a child again where when we learn, we probably have no idea like what's right and wrong. We just, we almost have to poke at something to know how it works. Yet, as the adult relearning things, we don't know, we don't have an adult to like say, hey, is, is this how gravity works? Is this how my legs work? There's a lot of different things to learn and not all of them are right. And the thing is that the ego is the mechanism by which we determine what's correct and what's not correct. So that being blasted apart, at least temporarily, we don't have that thing saying, oh yeah, that's right, oh no, that's wrong. And, um, but I feel like this is an important part of the process. It's almost like a second brain growth. And I don't know if I talked about that, but to me, if there's all these new thoughts and new associations that may or may not be correct, there has to be an equivalent congruent change in the brain neuroplastically. So the ego structures have kind of blown apart and that gives rise to the all these other thoughts and insights and ideas and possibilities to come into conscious awareness. And there are so many possibilities. And in that way it's like the brain grows a ton. And to me, at, the, at some point, there's like a pruning process. And unfortunately, I think a lot of it, a lot of the learning is pruned away by the mental health system saying, oh, don't worry about all that stuff. That was all just a bunch of delusion. That was all just a bunch of mental illness. Well... I took notes of all the stuff that I thought and a lot of it doesn't make sense but a lot of it does and it seems like over time what I write makes more and more sense so maybe I'm pruning my own thoughts now but I have a sense that people go into that state and it's a hyper learning state it's like this quantum holographic learning state and I just made up that term I just like the word quantum and I just like the word holographic and I just like how you know the quantum state is like there's superpositions of possibilities that the wave function has to be collapsed to to make the possible actual and I feel like there's all these possibilities floating around in that brain state and it's almost up to us to decide what to collapse so maybe we have two thoughts and they're both 
classified as delusion, but if we decide that we're going to sort of pursue one of them as a possibility and collapse it into actuality somehow, well then it's actually, we're moving towards creating that as a possible reality. And we can make that relational. So what I'm saying is we can start to collapse our own wave functions instead of being told what to know. And we can change the knowledge of reality by harvesting this learning state instead of just forgetting about it. Um, and, and the point with it is too, is that it's a learning state. It's not facts. It's not science. It's just learning. Kids never learned based on facts, based on being two years old and having facts and learning. It's a different mode of learning and I think it's actually quite equivalent to how the child's brain learns and that's why it's a lot of it is nonsensical but that is also necessary. If it was all just sensical then it it would just be in alignment with with reality and and there would be no individuality. And I think I think that this state is also trying to restore us to our original state and our original learning state of hyper learning. I don't know if you've had the experience of just being able to like look at something and understand how it works. And that's another thing about this hyper learning state of mania is that I feel the eyes and the brain look at things and recognize patterns. So it's not about recognizing a thing. It's about recognizing congruent patterns and other processes and then extrapolating it immediately. So in that way, by looking at a spider's web, we might understand something else. I can't think of anything right now, but, or by, in that state, we might look at a spider's web and be like, oh, I get it. That makes total sense. And it would make sense that kids' brains learn a bit like that because otherwise, it was just a linear process. It would take a really long time to learn all that they learn. So all this stuff I'm talking about is like pseudo-theoretical bullcrap, okay? It's not really real. I'm talking about how my brain seems to work in the manic state. And I'm explaining it based on my own experience. And I'm thinking back to it and harvesting it. I'm doing what I said in these videos would be cool to do, which is to harvest one's mania. So I'm harvesting. I am like the queen of the crop maker of mania harvesting. And by speaking about it in these videos and maybe releasing it one day, I have no idea, I would like to make these ideas relational. I'm putting my electrons on YouTube. I'm putting my patterns. I'm putting my morphogenetic field on YouTube and I'm hoping that other people who have experienced these states might begin to see some of the value and and the value is really in how we are going to change the collective fabric of reality to be more conducive to these ways of being 
so then they when the energy comes that's that's how reality is already designed so we can work to align reality with how we are in those states because we remember how we are we're in those states what was that energy trying to create how were we trying to be what were we trying to do well we can still do it after the fact and we don't have to be in that state to work towards that what else is there to do so one day I hope to either stop making videos or make videos out in the collective reality and maybe I will have some of my modalities like my magical backpack which is a backpack full of crap to create cognitive dissonance heart resonance pattern interrupts kindness giving sharing surprises and be some sort of kindness or wellness ambassador of sorts self-employed employed by the universe that's sort of how we feel like being in the manic state we think oh I'm here to really help the world well let's just go do it don't have to feel all that manic energy and if we go out and do it maybe we'll actually get the feeling of some of that energy because giving sharing being altruistic are all things that were wired to receive the reward of oxytocin versus our little dopamine pleasure traps that we go about collecting in our daily reality like watching TV and eating crap well we can go create oxytocin which feels so much better so these are like selfish good deeds and so maybe I'll be taking my my camera and stuff out to reality because I actually did want to capture stuff when I was in that state and I did capture some of it actually mostly audio recording like back five and a half years ago I did make one video which I called the fly whisperer and that video messed me up because I was like wow that was a divine experience and it sort of defied the laws of nature because I was hanging out with flies and going like ooh like this right at them and they wouldn't fly away I could have probably touched them and they wouldn't have flown away and that was really weird it was like they weren't scared of me they knew I wasn't gonna squash them or something um, so that was my one video, but with technology I could probably make more now. It won't be so slow to upload stuff. And the thing is too, is um, well, to go with that is random acts of kindness or intentional acts of kindness. And I have this thing that the ego perception of reality is blindness. And then the other energy is kindness. So from blindness to kindness. And going from being a survivor to a thriver. I don't want to just be a survivor and then look back at the system and say, 
I'm mad at you. I want to be like a thriver and then look back and say, I'm, it's, it's sad system that you didn't know what was really going on. And I forgive you and I'm going to be moving on and having some fun. I also think that we really need to kill them with kindness. We need to just be really, really kind and turn the system on its head because all of a sudden they don't have all these ill people, they have all these kind people being kind even though they were treated poorly. And and I really feel we can go from from dullness to wellness. I don't know if we're all ill, but a lot of us are made dull by you know what, and we can go from dullness to wellness. And we really can kill them with kindness. We can make the system less needed just by being more kind. And maybe one day it won't be really that needed at all. Society is not designed for us to be so sensitive. And that's the thing when all the extra energy comes in, we're sensitive to so many different things. We're sensitive to, to sound. We're sensitive to other people's feelings. We recognize patterns, as I mentioned. So in that way, we look at somebody, we can see their pattern, and we can see exactly what they're feeling and experiencing because we can see their pattern. We can read their body language. We can read their gestures. We can read their posture. And we can read their words. We can read their tone of voice. We can read so much more. So in that way, we actually empathize that much more. It's like the mirror neuron system is turned on like crazy. Or it could just be that the ego actually dulls out the mirror neuron system. So when it's scrambled by this energy, we can actually read other people's energy. And it's also, it's a state of oneness where we don't really see another person as another person, we actually see them as ourself or feel the oneness. So in that way, anything that we look at, we're kind of that and we're experiencing that and we're understanding that in that total perception. So it's almost like anything we look at, we understand, we're empathetic, we are that as well as ourselves. And the line becomes very blurry and because of that, it's difficult to sense all of that all day long and at some point if the energy is if we're really sensitive it's hard to say what is me and what is somebody else and then it can get really confused and and also since there's a lot of bad stuff going on out there seeing too much bad stuff can actually really take us down because we want to do something about it and we can't. So that's another thing is if we do something about some of the bad stuff, maybe we won't feel so, so helpless. And that's another reason why we feel very altruistic is that we feel that pain. <laughs> we feel that pain or we feel that joy, so it's difficult to not try to do something about that because we feel that. And everybody, I feel, 
feels that to some level, but it's really, it's blocked out. And it's probably necessary. And the more we can do to, to help the world, um, the more we won't have to feel those things when people go into those sensitive states. Hopefully they'll run into more butterflies and roses and not people laying on the street like garbage. Society's also not designed for us to be that happy and to be that and to have that much joy in living. So the state of extra energy, this mania as it's called and psychosis when a person is treated for it, it's treated as a personal problem. When really that extra energy is world-centric, it's relational, it's trying to connect somebody with one's altruism. So it's kind of a slap in the face when all of a sudden it's turned into a personal problem and a person is labeled and then said something is wrong with you and now you have this big problem to deal with so big that you're never going to get reacquainted with your altruism, which was the purpose of it in the first place. Part of the purpose. I'm not, when I say things that sound reductionist, I'm not trying to reduce it to that one thing because it's not, I know it's not that simple. And um, usually when I have a thought or an idea about something, I probably have like 10 or 20 thoughts about it. It's just, I can't say that every single time I mention one thing. And that's the other thing I was gonna say, is that even making these videos, part of it is to to practice saying this stuff because I can't remember anything. I can't even remember if I made a document about what I was writing about. And I'll just find it and be like, oh, oh, I kinda remember that. So I have very little memory and um, and that way I find it difficult to to like have a book or something and, and try to make this linear logical book. And I've probably said this before too, and I like I vaguely remember, but I feel like my memory is going my memory's going more and more and 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 I think I have to be okay with that. Because the thing is that this other state, this learning state, it's an always learning state. And when a person is always learning and not memorizing, then there's less and less memory. It's like that learning can be prompted to come out again. Um, I actually noticed I was looking on my blog and a few of these things that I'm talking about, I was talking about a year ago. And not really in the words that I'm saying, but it was like the seed of, of the idea, I guess. And I had no idea because when I just started writing stuff in the last month, maybe, I thought, whoa, this is like all new. So that's the thing. It always seems new. Every time.
that I say it. And I have stuff written down, but I get this. It's like a weird feeling to know that I have no memory. In my mind, it's not that people have mental illnesses, it's that people don't have egos. It's an illusion. So a person has like this ego self, this consistent self, and the energy comes up and breaks up this consistent self, and then a person is said to be ill when they're reorienting and reorganizing their thought structures and, and their their ego and they're coming back to their ego self it's like you're ill but in my mind a person isn't their ego there's something beyond that and they got in touch with that beyond and it's going to reorganize things not that in my mind the ego's in the way of a person being in their natural state and so a person goes into their natural state and then is brought out of it through being intervened with or the buzz kills, the energy drainers, interacting with family who have their own past image projections of how a person should be. So many different things. A person's so-called crisis or mania is actually to change the collective fabric towards what actually is, which is the oneness, which is the connection, which is seeing things holistically, which is acting altruistically, not because one thinks, oh, I need to act altruistically, because of how one sees it is, because it is one, it is connected. So the concept of altruism actually disappears. It's not, oh, I'm going to be altruistic. It's just how a person is. And so, and that goes with a lot of the different traits and gestures and different ways that people are animated as being in the state of mania. A person's not thinking, oh, I'm being so kind. Oh, I'm being so generous. It's only in looking back after the fact as our ego self in the world of concepts and thoughts that we can think Oh, this is how I was. I was kind. One isn't thinking that way in that state. It's a state beyond concepts. It's a state of action. Not a state of reaction, but action. Seeing and acting. So the apparent breaking down is actually the transformation from egocentric consciousness, which is more like unconsciousness, to world-centric consciousness that energy is for the world and that's another reason why oftentimes people lose it is because because they take it personally they take it as a personal pleasure and they turn it into pleasure when really it's to be shared we're all one consciousness and that's the thing with the whole mental illness thing is that we really need to question the prior assumptions that we are these individual egos. We are really one consciousness. And I believe quantum physics and metaphysics and spirituality talks about that at infinitum. And my experience and how I 
attempt to point to it is quite congruent with the few findings or the sum of the findings that I'm actually aware of. And I'm not going to go out there and research all the science to prove my my ideas and insights because that would just be boring. Um, I'd rather just make shit up. So we hear these things like treat your neighbor as yourself, treat others as you want to be treated, and there's a lot of wisdom in those statements and I've talked about before how I came to the insight that we're killing each other with our thoughts, feelings, and actions and gestures. We can actually kill people with our thoughts and with our actions. So, for example, say I'm driving along and I have a thought. Ooh, I should check my phone. And I look down and I check it and I run over somebody. My thought just killed that person. I wasn't paying attention. And that is an example how a thought leads to an action which kills somebody. Um, but the same thing can happen with just thinking something. It creates a ripple. Or the thought changes the expression on your face and people see that and they react to it subtly. And so just collectively all this vibration of stuff is, it adds up. And that's another way, or that's another reason I think that this energy comes in and takes people over and animates them in maniac type fashion to try and shake that up. It's almost like a person is being made into an agent of cognitive dissonance and pattern interrupt to try to interrupt the pattern of people and their their robotic ways of being. It's almost, I talked about before, it's the universe, it's a preventative mechanism, it's an evolutionary force of the universe to prevent us from all being programmed into these robotic drones, which we kind of already are. And then there's people who become even more like robotic drones and become professionals who decide to treat the people who emerge with this energy, who are actually designed by the universe with this energy to change things up a little bit. And people aren't being supported in their shamania, their shamanism and their mania. The, the view of the East and the West or the indigenous and I don't, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but they also talk about alchemical stuff or alchemy. I think it's alchemania, man. There's an alchemania process happening here. Alchemy through mania. And again, it's not the state. It's look back, think of your traits, and be that way in daily life. The world needs us to be that way. It's giving us a vision of how we need to be as human beings. And it's how we are naturally when all the ego stuff gets erased. So by being that way, we can actually erase some of the programming. And that's the slow version. The fast version is just twiddling one's thumbs and hoping that mania comes back. But then we might not live through it because it's a very dangerous state. And in talking about safety, one of the things I carry with me, I carry a zap strap. One of those little things you use to fasten cords together. 
Because if I ever get freaked out somewhere, I can just fasten myself and ride it out and just and then call for help with my phone and that makes me feel safe knowing I can just fasten my body and let my consciousness go wherever the heck it wants to go. If it wants to go back 2,000 years, it can go right ahead. If it can, wants to tell me about my past lives, it can go right ahead. If it wants to tell me about impending doom, it can go right ahead. And the trouble is with those things is I don't feel like it's in the past. I feel like it's happening right now. And so my body might respond as if it's happening right now. And that's why by fastening myself to something like, like a tree or something, I don't know, small tree, then I will feel fine. And I've never had to do this out in public, but it would be better than running off a cliff. Now imagine if what I am saying has any truth. And what I'm trying to say too is that it has truth whether you can feel it or not. Whether you're in the manic state and trying to operate based on these new principles of how the world works and energy and information flow or if you're just going about your ego consciousness day, you're still being affected by this underlying actuality that we don't perceive on a regular basis. Now, imagining you feel it, but you don't feel it. Imagining that in any given second you might start feeling it that way, like whatever you look at, you're gonna feel it exactly as it is, good, painful, and you'll be very confused because this isn't your normal mode of feeling things. And you might start getting anxious or or run or or feel afraid or you know be scared by someone's thoughts or intentions or their the look on their face. How would you change your behavior? If you knew that love and kindness were the remedy and it's not about one's own little problems and looking for solutions to those problems it's that we are the solution to the world's problems not I need a solution for my little problem and this energy, this altered state, is trying to get us to act. It animates us and it makes us act in ways that are out of character of our personal ego, but perhaps in character of the character of the universe, as how the universe wants us to be as human beings, as how the universe needs us to be as human beings. To me, this is the energy of the spontaneous social behaviors that could save the planet that Buckminster Fuller talked about. The ego creates inaction. Thought creates inaction. A person in a manic state finds it difficult to walk by a homeless person where somebody in their ego consciousness is just thinking and they just walk by and they don't even think twice. So it actually blocks seeing. It blocks action.
it's interesting how we're we're trained and we're educated and we're programmed to not take action and to just delay action and go about our little habits and routines and in that way everybody's problems are kind of like a collective delay of action. Action wasn't taken right in the first moment of the thing arising because somebody was busy doing something else. And that collective inaction almost causes all the need for these professionals, which is like someone training to become some professional might take eight years of training. That's a lot of inaction to acquire a big lump of knowledge versus us being more generalists and, and helping each other in the moment. Thank you for listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.